You're listening to Return Again on the Land of Israel Podcast Network, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim, who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and today's guest is Rabbi Ilan Adler, a formerly American rabbi with a fantastic sense of humor, a wonderful story, and an inspiring career renewal since making the big move to Israel. Rabbi Adler was a successful community rabbi in Baltimore, but eventually, the strong feelings his wife Rivka had for so many years hit him like a ton of bricks, and he knew that Israel was the place for him to continue his family's life. Here's Rabbi Ilan Adler, returning again. Rabbi Ilan Adler, thank you so much for allowing me into your beautiful, and I mean beautiful, home here in Efrat. Thank you so much. Uh, Goel, really, I appreciate it. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm really looking forward to this. And, and This you was know, one of the previous Hamas palaces <laughs> that we're in right now. We just renovated and took down all the halal signs. I, I heard that, that Efrat was a stronghold of, uh, of that organization. Oh, we would like to hold them even stronger, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like maybe like around the neck. There you go. Anyway, um, I, I do appreciate your time. My pleasure. And um, I think that... The story that that has led to you coming here is is so fascinating. We'll get to it, but just so the listeners understand, like here's someone who led uh, a community in in Maryland and was also a rabbi in Stamford, Connecticut, where both my wife and I are from. And you'd think, okay, so like he retired to Israel, but no way. Mm-hmm. Like you've kept going, and so we're gonna talk all about that. Okay, but, great. But let's start at the beginning. Sure. When was the first time you ever heard of the concept of making your life in Israel? When I was born. Well, so what does that mean? I was born here in Yafo. Oh, well then I shouldn't be interviewing you. You're a native-born Israeli. I'm a native-born Israeli. Yeah, so go ahead. Well, to we'll... a Holocaust survivor, parents from Hungary. Right. Um, thank God they survived. And in 1948, July 1948, they took a three-week boat ride to Haifa. Um, and I was born here in Israel. In 1948? No. Oh, okay. They a few were here. years later, okay. yeah, here in Israel. But uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I was born here and my brother was born here. Um, and then at the age of six and a half, we moved to Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Western Massachusetts. I'm not sure, but Pittsfield, the first few letters will tell you everything you need to know about Pittsfield. It's right near Stockbridge and Great Barrington, Lee. Lee, Yes, right, right, very good, yeah. So, um, yeah, so being born was the first time I heard of of Israel. I left at the age of six and a half and didn't come back until about 50 years later. Wow. So that makes me kind of like a new Ole. Did you ever talk to your parents about why they left Israel? Like, is, is it, a, is it a, a clear thing? Or, like, what led them to ultimately winding up in the States and then, even more interestingly, winding up in Pittsfield, Massachusetts? Right. Well, my father worked for Soleil Bonnet. Right. Uh, I'm told that he was also uh, helping to build helicopters. Uh, he was also in engineering, and he also fought in the Palmach in the War of Independence. So they came here July 48th. I was going to say, he landed and took a gun. Boom. Just like Boom. those stories. Yeah, my mother says, uh, she, they should both rest in peace. My mother says there was no way to reach uh, Abba for weeks. They didn't have cell phones back then. And he left, and he, when he came back, he came back, thank God. You know. So, uh, 
Yeah. So the, the family kind of, the family story kind of um, has my father being, um, how would you say, influenced by his mother, who was living in New York, to please, please, please come to America. I miss you, I guess. Um, she had another son living in New Jersey at the time. Okay. I miss you. Please come. Stay for a couple of years. You'll make some money, and then you'll go, go back to Israel. Right. Which is not an unclassic story. No, that's Come, true. Come, make some money, you'll go back. And now, how had we're she, so sorry how, how we didn't had go she, back. How had she wound up in New York when your dad was still in Hungary? Uh, because my dad's brother was yeah. in New York. So I guess she uh, left Hungary, came okay, to the United okay. States, went okay. to New York, and maybe uh, wanted the family to be all together. Yeah, yeah. Closer all in the United States, all in the East Coast. That's kind of the family story. I don't really know more details about that. And we were all very happy. Uh, my father got a job in a Hebrew school and a gas station. Really? In, in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, and then two years later, he got a job as a uh, teacher in Providence, Rhode Island. And that's where most of my immediate family is right now. Providence, Cranston, Warwick. Right. Big cities. <laughs> I mean, Providence is a solid Providence, city. Providence, yeah. 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 So, so when, you, when people say, where did you grow up? Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Yeah. So you moved to Providence when you were eight and a half, nine, something like that? Something like that. And where, where was Israel in your childhood? You get to Providence, and your dad was a teacher there? Teacher at the Providence Hebrew Day School. And your mom? My mother was a homemaker. Okay. She... Um, my father also became the principal of a local Hebrew school. So for a couple of years, I think she taught in the Hebrew school on Sundays. So he, he sorry to spend so much time on your parents, but it's... I also like have a sister, of... a sister who was born in America. Oh, okay. In Pittsfield. Right, right. Yeah. So he wasn't an educator when he was in Israel, but... I don't believe so. So the strength of the Hebrew language, I guess, made him more interesting... Very interesting. Uh, to, ...to the educators in the States. And so... So as you're growing up in Providence, yeah. is there discussion at the table about someday going, going back to Israel? Or are no. they like strongly American? Zero. That? Not so, that I remember. I don't remember any discussion like that. There was more discussion about Holocaust experiences than, than anything. You know, not obsessive, but yeah. discussion and uh, have a hot soup on Friday night. Boy, this, wasn't, this is even hotter than what I remember in the... You know, so things triggered yeah. different kind of conversations. But uh, to talk about Aliyah, you know, coming back to Israel, I, I'm not aware of it. I don't remember anything like that. And in terms of like your school and classmates and like where was Israel in your mind growing up? Was it, was um, it relevant? It was relevant as a place, as relevant as my birthplace. Right. It was not really relevant as a place to go back to. Before we made Aliyah in 2010... I estimate I was here about 50 to 55 times. <laughs> Different trips, sure. family, schools, whatever it was. Um, so I remember there was, a, we had a, a friend in, um, in Malay Adumim right. who remembers as a kid listening to a speaker who congratulated himself as he spoke to whatever audience. He congratulated himself that he had been to Israel at that point 23 times. And kind of like put the thumbs in under his suspenders. You know, I went to Israel 23 times. And this woman went up to him later and he says, do you have any questions? She says, 
Yes, I do. Well, what is your question? She says, you left Israel 23 times? Kol <laughs> kavod. great wow. that you came 23, but you had 23 opportunities to stay and you left 23 times? Um, but it, it was not big in our consciousness, except we're, you know, Israeli family. We all spoke uh, a good uh, Hebrew, uh, less and less as the, as the years went by because... Around the, the table was English or Hebrew? English. Okay. A little Hungarian. I know uh -huh. some spicy words in Hungarian. <laughs> if anybody wants to know clean words, don't contact me, but other words I can tell you. Um, yep, so the consciousness of Israel or uh, visitation, yes, you know, 50 times coming back and forth and for this. And my, my mother's mother, she should rest in peace, lived in B'nai Barak for 36 years, often went to visit her. She would come to visit us. But as far as a place to eventually one day even retire, right? As my rabbinic career was developing, thank God, in America, in Stanford and in Baltimore, it wasn't really a thought. Right. When did it, and I don't want to skip over the, you know, your, your entire career in the States, we'll get back to that actually, but when did it start creeping into your mind or into the minds of you and your wife, hey, maybe we should think about this? Do you remember that? Yes, very much so. First, I'll tell you that in 1996, my wife and I were married, and we came here for our honeymoon. This was my wife's first trip ever to Israel, which wow. also says something. Um, yeah. So I just want to say, yeah, my wife and I got married in 1996. We were supposed to come here on our honeymoon, and there were a couple of bus bombings. You probably remember right around the time yeah, of your yeah. wedding. Right. And so we decided to go to Hawaii instead. And then the next year we came here, and that was my first time wow. in Israel. Yeah. So there you go. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah. So you came here on your honeymoon. Honeymoon, 1996. We was here a couple of weeks, I think. But the Aliyah story started on 9-11. 9-11, we're watching the buildings go down for the 1900th time. In Baltimore. In Baltimore. We're sitting yeah. there, 9-11. Buildings replay, replay, replay. Here's the 1400th time we're going to see the buildings come down. <laughs> right. and, and now we're sitting in our family room in Baltimore. And we're watching it now for the 1409th time, the building's coming down. And my wife says, my wife Rivka says, something like, very uncontroversial, we're getting the heck out of here. Just like that. Just like that. Give or take those words. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. getting out of here. And remember, we were saying, me, our two daughters, what do you mean by that? She says, well, here we are in Baltimore. This whole thing happened in New York. It's a three-hour car drive. We are no safer in Baltimore than we would be in Israel. We're not safe here. It's a host country, and we're getting out of here. So we kind of, I can't say we laughed it off because it was 9-11. It was a very, very uh, traumatic time for Americans, especially sure. near all the epicenters of everything going on. Um, and so that was in 2001. Uh, 2002, we decided we would come here and see how we can help the Israeli economy more than buying three cans of Israeli pickles. <laughs> so at that time, there were a lot of companies, a lot of bookstores, and a lot of sellers coming to Jewish pockets in America 
trying to sell their wares because it was in the middle of a terrible intifada. That's right. I remember that. I, I think I even, I think uh, Tefillin Beit El was yeah. at one of those things, and I bought my Tefillin cases at that. There you go. At that fair. There that you go. That might have been at like Beth Tefillah in right. Baltimore or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there was a huge one at Beth Tefilla in Baltimore, yeah. in that big Sagner Auditorium. Yeah. And one of the people selling there was uh, Mikhail Pomerantz, of blessed memory, right. who owns Pomerantz Books in Jerusalem and who has since passed away. So we bought a few things from him, a few things from this stall and that stall and yeah. whatever. Um, anyway, so we decided let's help the Israeli economy. In 2002, we came here. We looked at different uh, places, uh, whatever. Um, they did what was called back then a, uh, I forget the exact name of it, but you come and you visit six, seven communities in about a pilot trip. Pilot trip, thank you. And we did. So we visited, I don't know, several communities, two, three a day. 2002. In 2002. Right. Looked at many different communities. Yeah. 2003, Rivka and I both found four days in August where neither of us had any commitment. Wow, okay. You know, I, at that time, I was an associate rabbi in the 1300 family congregation. There was always something to be involved in. Right. Life cycle events, whatever. And we said, let's grab these four days and go back to Israel and see if any of those communities sang enough for us to find a place in one of those communities. And we did. And we uh, met with Shelley Levine. Right. And uh, at that time, her husband, Charlie, was still alive. Shelly uh, took us around to those three, four communities, and she said, now I'm going to show you Malay Adumim, which we saw the year before, but I don't remember a thing about it. Where she lived also. She lived also. Yeah. She lived down the street from us. <laughs> uh, she says, I'm happy to take you to all the other communities, but you are going to be my neighbor in Malay Adumim. So we said, that's very prophetic. How do you know that? She says, I know that. I just know that. Bottom line is, we went to the other communities. They were yeah. nice. Yeah. Then we went to Malay Adumim. And that's where we ultimately bought an apartment. So that was in 2003. 2004, it was built. It was, they finished building this apartment that we bought on paper. Right. And uh, since 2004, we came twice a year, sometimes three times a year. But we were anchored. Yeah. And that made a big difference. So that when we made Aliyah in 2010, we had a soft landing. You we were had already a, part of we the community. A, we had friends. And I'm sure both of them liked it. No, we had, <laughs> we, we had friends, we had a community, we had a synagogue. And, I mean, those are the kinds of things you look for. We didn't need to look too much for a school because our older daughter by then didn't need it. And a younger daughter had a couple of years in high school. We found YTA, right. uh, which now is in Beit Shemesh, the uh, YTA girls' school. And um, so we basically, like I say, a soft landing, not uh, skirmishing to find where we're going to live, what are we going to do, who can furnish the apartment. Whatever. We had a, a friend nearby who furnished the apartment for us in, you know, temporary furnishings. And she was our rental agent. So where people would want to come and spend a Shabbat for a simcha or something. Happy occasion in uh, Malay Adumim. Or people needed a longer stay. She would be the one to contact. And she signed the documents and whatever. Um, and then, as the years went by doing that, visiting here two, three times a year, um, we always had to take our very special things, expensive things, and put them in a large cabinet so that when people who are renting don't have access to our 
personal stuff. Right. And that for, especially for Rivka, my wife, that became much harder every time we went. Because a day before, all the stuff that we love and all the things that we treasure had to be put in a case in a big cabinet and uh, the candlesticks and the kiddush sure, cup sure. and all the stuff that makes it homey. And it became very, very hard. For me, it was not yet so hard to leave because I had a job to go back to and Rivka did too. But it was not hard for me to leave. And um, the turning point for me was in 2007, eight, something like that. I don't remember exactly which. The congregation in Baltimore gave me a five week sabbatical. Okay. Which is about 47 weeks too short. <laughs> but okay, I'll, right. take, I'll take it. Hey, it's better Whatever than it one week. <laughs> better than one week. <laughs> yeah. Better than an overnight in Tel Aviv. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, so I came here uh, for either, two of those five weeks by myself. And I said, I'm going to discover this place on my own. So what did you do? Not where this one wants to go. Can we go this today? Can we go to the right. mall today? It'll be just me, myself, and I. The three of us are going to... Rivka said, go and love the country. Take two weeks on your own and love the country. You feel at that point she was more in love with the country than you were. Totally. She was ready to go the next day yeah, after right. 9-11. Right. But and she you were the one suffered who through here. nine years of goading us and, and trying to convince us and uh, that's where we're going to resume our life and we're going to love it and uh, we're going to go and it'll be great. And um, listen, I, had a, I could have had a lifetime contract in Baltimore. Right. The kids were very happy. Good schools, very good friends. Home felt very much like home because at that point we were home. So what happened during those two weeks? So during those two weeks, I made a plan for myself. Monday, I'm going to go to the Hana all by myself, and nobody will bother me about where, can we go now? Can we now? <laughs> you know, without all the tugging and pulling. So I went to the mall, I went to this place, and I went to that place, and I looked forward to it. I'm going to sit at Malchamal in yeah. Jerusalem for nine hours. Right. You know why? Because I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to read five newspapers and get four cups of coffee and triple Sundays. <laughs> And I'm going to love it. And after 20 minutes, wherever I went, I didn't love it anymore. I love the country, but it was like very lonely by myself. And then for the other three weeks, Rivka came and joined me for the other three oh, weeks. Okay. Um, for Rivka's uh, milestone birthday around that time, uh, we did interviews with people that we had prearranged interviews to talk to them about Aliyah, why did they make Aliyah, and we were going to make a film. Really? Yeah. Um, about coming home and uh, interviewing, I don't know, we had, a, we had in mind to interview 15, 17 different people, and we did. We interviewed several. We ended up not doing anything substantial with that film. I think we may have still bits and pieces of video. Yeah. That also added to my, hmm, hmm. Uh, Why am I fighting uh, this Aliyah thing? Right. I came here for two weeks. I loved it. And now all these people are giving me strength. So we interpreted it as, the heck with the film, this was all for me. Interviewing all these people, talking about why they love this country, was probably, you know, God's personal supervision. Elon, listen up. These people are talking to you, not to a video, and not to a film you're going to make. They're talking to you. Do you remember some of the things that 
some of these people said? Uh, I can't say that I do anything specific. I just remember that every time we did another, another interview, uh, I would be asking the questions once in a while. Maybe Rivka would be asking the questions, but I remember that it grew. It grew on me. It was like momentum building. Momentum. Yeah. And um, so I think that had also a piece of it, besides Rivka's very, very ardent desire to be here already. So between uh, 9-11 and that, the, the two-week uh, vacation by myself and, um, and doing those videos, it became... And then I knew I think I'm hooked when... On a, on a trip right around that time, could have been exactly when we were doing the videos, I'm not sure. On a trip around that time, we would have a custom that before we left the house to get to the airport, whether it's with a cab or a rented car that we have to return, right. we had a tradition to kiss every mezuzah. Okay. And um, so... On the way. On, on the presumably, presumably not every mezuzah. Every mezuzah. In, oh, I'm on sorry. Your way. In, in, the, in, the, in our apartment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the apartment. Oh, so it really was every mezuzah. Every mezuzah in the apartment wow. we would kiss. What a beautiful idea. It was lovely and emotional. Yeah. At, at, at a certain point, it became emotional for me as well. For Rivka, it was always emotional. Putting the stuff in the cabinet a day before right. was emotional. Right. And that became very emotional. And then there was one time, and it could have been that same time after kissing the mezuzahs. It's now th like three o'clock in the morning, dark, 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 no other traffic. We're pulling out away from our apartment building. And I'm uh, listening to some music, and now we're leaving Israel, and I started crying. I started crying. And I felt sad. And I would say that's the first time I felt as emotional to cry. And uh, I think that was like the real turning point. Besides everything else that I've described, I sure. think that was, um, what's his name from Hartman Institute? Or not Hartman, Shalom Institute. He's written a lot of books. I can't think of his name. He wrote a book called If a Place Can oh, Make Daniel You Gordas. Cry. Thank you, Daniel Gordis. If a Place Can Make You Cry. Right. And the, when the, he and his wife were living here, they would send back emails to their families, whatever. And the premise was, if a place can make you cry, you ought to live there already. <laughs> right. So that's kind of what I was thinking of, you know, that now that I'm crying, leaving, kissing the mezuzahs, leaving at 3 a.m., and this is the neighborhood that we enjoy and love and friends and a shul and a, a, a commerce, wherever we go, it's home here already, even though we live in Baltimore. So I think that was, that was uh, another huge turning point. So you cry, you get in the cab. No, right we, had, we had a rental car. So you, you went, and are you talking about this on the way to the airport? Or it's just sort of like silence and everyone knows what's going on? I kind of remember it was pretty quiet. Yeah. That's my recollection. Yeah. Um, Rivka, my wife, may have another recollection, but... I remember saying to myself, I think we've crossed the line here. What year was this? 2006, seven, something okay. like eight. So there's still a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Now you're, you're a rabbi, you're in a community. Obviously, you don't just give 30 days notice. You know? No, so, my community so, in 2006 is very concerned, knowing that we have bought an apartment. Right. 
and uh, they're very concerned that I might be leaving them very, very soon. So what happened? So <clears throat> we have a younger daughter. We have an older daughter who's living in Ramat Beit Shemesh with her lovely husband and delicious kids. She was already in Israel? She came in 2009. Oh, uh, okay. okay. So, so at this point she hadn't yet come, but clearly mm-hmm. it's on her radar it's screen. It's on her radar well. screen. She came for a year at Tiferet, a right. year and a half, and then made Aliyah. Um, in 2009. Um, so at that point, uh, just remind me of the question because I lost my train of thought. Um, so no, no problem. So, so you get back to Baltimore after uh, this epiphany. Yes. Very. And so what happened? Uh, so, so now my congregation is uh, very concerned that I'm going to be leaving shortly. Yeah. So for the longest time, I had been telling people that we are not likely to make Aliyah before 2013 when our younger daughter is going to graduate high school. Right. Now here we are, there's already uh, thoughts in our minds. There's already uh, some very basic kinds of plans. And uh, the congregation, through the leadership of the congregation, asked if on one day of Rosh Hashanah that was coming up, uh, could I please say something from the Bima to reassure the congregation that we're not leaving in the next few months. And I did. I did. I said, I know that uh, you know that we have an apartment. We love Israel. I was born there. But we don't plan on leaving, if at all, we don't plan on leaving until 2013 when our younger daughter graduates. Did you believe what you were saying? Like this is after, sorry to put you on the spot, yeah, like this, I, but this I, is after the crying. It could have been after the crying. Oh, it might have been yeah. before the crying? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have exactly the okay, time okay, timetable. That's, that's fair enough, okay. But, um, yeah, I, I could confident, confidently, without feeling like I'm snowing everybody, yeah, yeah. that it, it's not going to happen before 2013. For us, that would have been the, the reasonable time when she graduates, and then we can go. If, we, if we're going to go, that's when we're going to go. They were very, very happy to hear that. Right, um, and then the the ball, the snowball kept on rolling uh, to to bring us here. In what ways? Well, a- after a while, we realized that we're both very emotional about being here. We ought to come. How do we make it happen? What are we going to do once we get here? Right. You know, we were not spring chickens, as they say, and still aren't, frankly. <laughs> But, um, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to make a livelihood there? So it was all a big leap, a leap of faith. Yeah. We're going to go, and uh, wherever God wants to carry these feathers, he's going to blow it in that direction. And so far, thank God, you know, we've both uh, found various ways to express ourselves and to, uh, to make a living. Thank God for Social Security. <laughs> it's a lovely, lovely gift. And, um, yeah, so we've been here now for uh, almost 14 years. July 7th of this year will be 14 years, God willing. All right. So now I want to go back. Sure. I want to talk about beliefs. Okay. Because as, if I may call you this, an Orthodox rabbi. You may. (laughs) Still. um, Still. (laughs) Um, Your... uh, pretty knowledgeable about what the davening 
means, yes. what the words mean. You know, yes. there are a lot of people they go through their whole lives sure. knowing how to read the words, but they don't really think about what they're saying. But yeah. as a rabbi, you you know what you're saying. I know what I'm saying, sure. And um, as the years go by and Israel is becoming a, a more and more, let's call it, successful endeavor for the Jewish people, it's becoming clearer and clearer that, that Israel's like at least solid, right? Yeah. And, and you're continuing in your communities in the States and perhaps periodically one of the people in your congregation would make Aliyah. And where was it all in your mind in terms of a concept leading up to buying the apartment that you visited a couple times a year. Talk about those, you know, that's probably, what is it, 15 years of rabbinics before that, or maybe even more. So, yeah, that's my question. Yeah, so uh, it's a good question. I, I would uh, read references to Yisrael, Yerushalayim, etc. Um, so it, it spoke to me on, I guess, on some level, uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe at some point we would be there more often, more often, not necessarily to live there. Um, rabbis in America have a tremendous job to do. You know, it was a way of assuaging my likely guilt at the time. We have a job to do. There's tons of Jews here in America. You can't just shut off the lights and go elsewhere, leaving five million Jews here. So we all have a job. And... Um, Notwithstanding whatever the various prayers uh, say, uh, I think I'm accomplishing stuff here in my rabbinic position. And uh, I'm moving people along in their observance, etc. And you were. And like I was. That was the types of, the types of shuls you the were running. The type of synagogues like were, I was with were yeah. those kind of synagogues. People growing, sure. How successful <laughs> is it that you have to ask the good Lord how right. successful I was? Right. But I felt very justified for myself that this is, uh, can't just uh, abandon uh, American Jewry or, or uh, Stanford, Connecticut Jewry or Baltimore, Maryland Jewry. And I, I, I have a job here. And perhaps the most I can do is increase my visits, increase uh, support financially, but not necessarily moving here. Right, right. And during and I have to say there yeah, were many other Orthodox rabbis as knowledgeable and more than I was, who also were not exactly on the next flight out. If and, you know what I'm saying, and still aren't, and it's still unfortunately <laughs> are still not. Yeah. They're still not on the next flight out. Yeah. Um, and so that that but we was should all, name them, shouldn't we? No, I'm joking. I'm yeah, I think we have time. Don't we have time? <laughs> yeah. Do you have an hour and a half? I can I can get out my. Rabbinical Council of America Registry <laughs> right. and see who's not checked off yet. I think that would be a great episode. Yeah, well, yeah, it could be your last way, episode. Yeah, I was going to say the next one would be from jail. For yeah, or being sued. Yeah, um, but but I imagine if you take the RCA registry from twenty years ago, yeah, you can check off a lot of names. That a have lot, come. Of, a lot of names, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> a lot of names. Yeah. So that that also provided a certain balm. Right you know, a certain justification. Well, not only I'm not going, but the rabbi of the Young Israel of Avenue Q is also not going, and the Young Israel of Chazdei Emet, the Young Israel of whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, um, those kinds of thoughts didn't exactly propel me any quicker to come. Yeah. Um, 
Did you ever have any members of the congregation asking your advice on whether they should make Aliyah? Not a whole lot. It was not a particularly Aliyah-oriented uh, congregation. Right. We had one or two families that came. They stayed for a while. It didn't work out for them. They went back. I have a sort of, let's call it, paradigm that, that I, I don't know if it's true. Okay or correct, but I know I believe it, which is if rabbis would stand up in front of their kehilot okay. and say, certain rabbis, it would have to be a rabbi where, where he is really seen as the leader and not just a, an employee, yes, obviously. Yes, right. <clears throat> uh, ladies and gentlemen, five years from now, I make Naliyah. Who's coming with me? Let's yeah. work together to yeah. get there. That it could work. What's your? We're a little off course here, but that's okay. What's What's your take on that? Um, uh, Would I, it work? Uh, could it work? Well, I'll give you an example. Okay, okay? Uh, we're sitting now in Efrat, uh, right. the Judean Hills. Uh, we're sitting in Efrat, where the former chief rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, right, was a highly successful rabbi at Lincoln Square Synagogue in Manhattan. Sure. Uh, when when uh, people find out that he brought people, when he left Manhattan, he brought people to Efrat, or to Israel maybe, uh, they're under the impression that he brought many, 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 many people from his congregation. <laughs> right. And years ago, when my wife and I sat with him for a nice long time to talk about all kinds of things, he said, I came here with six families. That's right. So even somebody of his stature, right. his integrity... Uh, somebody with his gravitas came with six people, and now there's thirteen to 15,000 people in Efrat. Yeah. So I think he's a good example of somebody that you'd be talking about who, if he stood in front of the congregation and said, we're moving, we're making Aliyah, six people made Aliyah with him, yeah. six families. Yeah. So I don't know how easy it is or how hard it is. There, there are several rabbis here who... They, I don't think they transplanted their whole congregation, but we could say a significant amount of families over the years have come. Right, right away? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't have my finger on that pulse. Right. But uh, ma many of their congregations did come. So, um, but I, ha I have to be honest and say that nowadays, being here for almost 14 years, and I see that American rabbis come for visitation, visit family members, they have kids in the army, whatever it is. Sure. And they come and I see a, uh, a flyer on WhatsApp or email that they're coming from Name the City in America and they're going to be giving shiurim. They're going to be giving a lecture at this place and at that place and at that place. And uh, they're, they're living in America. I have to admit, and I don't like this about myself, yeah. I have to admit that I read it very judgmentally. Mm. Sorry to say it. I wouldn't say it to their face. <laughs> but Well, uh, it so happens that all I rabbis, say to your face, all rabbis is, listen to this podcast. So oh, excellent. Just it to excellent. All oh, so we have more names I can mention <laughs> and be, uh, dis be hated by everybody. So when you say you're judgmental, what, what do you mean by that? I, I'm judgmental. How do you look at it? I, I look at it as like, uh, you know, here's somebody, I know the name, somebody of tremendous influence, and why are you still in Chutzla Why are you still in America? 
Now, people could have said that to me uh, X amount of years ago. Rabbi Adler, why are you still in America? You were born there, Orthodox Jew, you know the prayers, you know the prophecies, blah, blah, etc. What yeah. are you doing there? I, I get that. At the same time, I have to admit that I look at the names and I look, they're going to teach here, and I wonder to myself, how authentic is the teaching? Forget about the rabbi and why is he still there? Whatever I'm going to be listening to if I go to the lecture, I, I don't know that I can put it in words what I, what I feel judgmental about that. Because they don't live in Israel doesn't all of a sudden mean that their lecture on keeping kosher or Shabbat all of a sudden is going to contain a lot of incorrect information. Sure. But I feel like if, you know, if they didn't get the Eretz Yisrael part of it right, I just feel that there's, I'll, I'll use the word, and I don't use it comfortably, but I'll use it. I feel something is tainted right. in what they're delivering. Something is tainted in what they're delivering. Now, and I get, I admit, this is highly judgmental. Yeah, yeah. But 20 years ago, weren't you that guy? Absolutely. Has something changed in terms of Israel where it's more egregious now to not come here than it was 20 years ago? Yeah. Because since the uh, Intifada in 2001 and everything else that went with it, and the, and the uh, us leaving Gush Katif in 2005, and all of our enemies taking pot shots at, uh, at us every two days, three days, every week and a half, and, and uh, this gets killed, and this one gets murdered, and this one, uh, etc., I feel that over the years, this now, now more than ever, which is such a hackneyed <laughs> phrase, but I feel now more than ever is the time to be here, to be counted, to be present. And for those who are not yet here, and I see that their synagogues are expanding. Right. Now, are they expanding and the rabbi is going to come here and another rabbi will be the rabbi of the expansion? I don't know. But I feel like they, they've got their fingers in the sand and embedded so hard and so irretrievably that it makes me feel like they've, they've missed something. Now, again, I've missed something too 20 years ago. Sure. I, no question. No question. But I'm famous because if you look in the dictionary under the word hypocrite, you'll see my picture. <laughs> it's not their picture. It's my picture. So I feel like I've gained a certain notoriety um, thinking that way. But right. at the same time, you know, people change their attitudes and feelings as time goes along. Things become less important, more important, less urgent, more urgent. And for me and for my wife and the people we know, there is an urgency to being here, being counted, being part of the future. Um, we heard a speaker last week uh, when I was on a, a mission with the Mizrahi organization of the Rabbinical Council of America. Yes. The head of the Mizrahi, uh, they have a son who has been hostage Doron ever since the beginning. Doron Paris and his wife's right, son, right. Daniel. Yep. So we, we were listening to him for several minutes and hearing the terrible story that he told about the son, and he had another son who was injured. That's right. Subsequently married, I think, a couple of months ago. Yeah. Anyway, so their son is being held hostage, and they know nothing about him for the last hundred days. But he said, 
that the reason that people have two eyes, now he, he was talking about the Jewish community, the reason that Jewish people have two eyes is one eye is on the personal side of things and the other eye is on the communal side of things. Right, it's like the Yaakov Yisrael. Right, kind of and, we, and we have, to, we have to constantly weigh, each eye has to weigh what's more important at that particular time, the, the, the me or the us. Right. Which is very interesting because right near the eyes are the two ears. And in Hebrew, the word ear is ozen, and the balance is izun, like the balancing liquid of the body right. is in the ear. Yeah. So it's another way of saying there needs to be a balance between what one eye sees and what the other eye right, sees. Right, the, right. It's the me sometimes versus the community. So I say that because for many of the rabbis, the me I says, this is great here. Look at the influence I have, the power, the impact. Look at how I'm changing Jewish lives here. At the same time, there's a whole community here in Eretz Yisrael that begs their presence. Now, how do you balance that? One way to balance is it, you come here as often as you can, send people as often as you can, have missions as often as you can, fundraise for Israel as much as you can. That's, that's one way. Another way to do it is to put your feet in here and, and link your future to the future of this country. Because I don't think anybody would disagree. This is the main stage of Jewish history. This is where it's happening, and this is going to be happening a long, long time, God willing, until Mashiach days. This is where it's happening. Yeah. And to be anywhere else, I think, is missing the boat. You know, I, I'm one of those people who, who came here on a mission with a rabbi oh. right after 9-11. And he's still not here. Well, we can name but, his name because, <laughs> it, what, what does that take, three seconds? <laughs> because, I, I'm, I'm mentioning it because... Yeah. He's not here, but he's doing. He did exactly what you were talking about. He brought me here, mm -hmm. and that trip is the reason I'm here. Yes, but there were 22 of us on that trip, and for for 20 years, I was the only one who made Aliyah from that trip. Wow! A couple of years ago, another guy did also. Wow! So, so I guess what I'm saying is, so you take the Rabbi Riskin model. Mm -hmm. That's six families. Right. So this rabbi's model is one family. Okay. So six is better than one. For sure. So even if the rabbis bring with them six families. Right. And by the way, I have no doubt that it will be more than that in this generation. Okay. It was back, I'm very risking it's how many years ago at this point? 40 ish. Yeah, 40 years Give ago. Give or take. Israel's a different place now than it was back then. Right. But look at that one. That one out of 22 came yeah. to Eretz Israel. Yeah. You have Belianar, a beautiful, large family. Yes. Uh, uh, look at all the influence you have in this country, which is minimal. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, it that is was, minimal, and, no, and it's, still it's, it's not. It's the Don Rickles part of me that just came out. Uh, I'm a big fan of any Don Rickles part of anybody. <laughs> me too. He, he was just puts me on the floor. Hilarious. Puts me on the floor. Anyway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so the American and, and Chutzla Aretz, diaspora rabbis, um, have to find a way to balance these two eyes. Yeah, I think, I think it it is time for them to shift. Yes. You know, since since October seventh, it's just so crystal clear that actually they're doing their their kehilot a disservice Ooh. 
at this point. That, mm. That's the way I see it. Wow. So By not hearing the message and acting on it? Is, it, is that what you mean? By not saying, you know, the, time the, to go. They're, they're, they have no problem saying to someone who normally goes to Minion in the morning and all of a sudden for a couple of weeks noticing that that guy's not there saying, hey, where are you? Everything right. okay? Right. So they have no problem helping someone to be a better Jew. Yes. But come on, like save lives. Yeah. That's where we are now. Like yeah. save lives. Right. Anyway, let's get back but to the But that's the two eyes. That's, that's the two right. eyes. That's right. That's the me eye, yeah. and then there's the communal yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... Um, okay, so Can I just mention something yeah, yeah, about my going. wife, Rivka? Sure. Okay? When it became clear that... Uh, we And we used to come every summer um, and go to the uh, arrivals of Nefesh Ben Nefesh. Right. And, and Rivka would always say, oh, they get to come here, and, uh, you know, they wore a different thing. A different sticker, right? Ole. They right. wore Ole, and we wore uh, like guest. Guest, right? We were guests, and it killed her every time we went there, and we saw the people that we knew. So, when she got this Aliyah energy, uh, she started something called the Baltimore Chug Aliyah. Once a month, a, a program on this or that aspect of living in Israel, right? Schooling, uh, medical uh, assistance. Uh, the finances, uh, the shopping, uh, the driving, whatever it was. Every, every month was another topic. And people came in big numbers, dozens. dozens I spoke of people at one came. of them. Did you really? I did. Do you remember your topic? I do remember my topic. I, I remember I could probably recite the speech again. But what was the topic, if you remember? Uh, the, the topic was putting your Jewishness in front of everything else. That oh. Aliyah is the ultimate, because it was right before the Yamim Noraim. Okay. And so it was like, you're, it's the ultimate demonstration to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that, that your Jewishness is the most important thing wow. in your life. Wow, wow. Um, but I'm only mentioning it because it was in someone's house, yeah. and it was a packed house. Yeah. Like that, that, that chug was very strong. She, thank you. Yeah, she generated a powerful interest in people. Yeah who imagine themselves making Aliyah eventually, sooner than later probably. And every month, I don't know how many years she did that. And that generated even more and more Aliyah energy. Um, so a lot of the people that we would see at all of these Nefesh Benefesh arrivals were people that wow. were in the Chog Aliyah. And here we were still not able to, or whatever the story was, yeah. they're coming and everybody's crying and... and we don't have that privilege yet, or didn't make the privilege yet. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was always very difficult to be at these welcomes. But um, she generated a huge interest in Aliyah. So we're, we're around 2008 at this point, and, and eventually you do have to tell your shul that yes. it's time to move on. We decided you do right have before to... the high holidays, 2009. Okay. And you... You know, you have this teenage daughter. Mm. She's part of the mix. Sure. So how on board was she? How on board was the community ultimately? Talk about that process of of extracting yourself from the yes. space and actually coming in. That's a very excellent uh, avenue. <clears throat> so again, this was uh, pre-High Holidays, pre-Rosh Hashanah of nine, uh, 2009. Our daughter was already here at that time. Your older daughter. Older daughter, yeah. right. 
Um, so now we had to do what we call our farewell tour. We have to tell people that this is the decision we've made. Of course, we told, called our uh, older daughter, uh, younger daughter, I'm sorry, uh, to the dining room and we explained why we're going and uh, we'd like her to come with us, etc., etc. Cried like a baby, which I totally get. We totally get that. This was uprooting from friends, neighborhood, community, everything that she felt was home. Was she surprised or just not, upset? Not, by this point, no, because she, I, she must have had an inkling by 2009 yeah. uh, after Rivka had put uh, Hebrew tags on every item, <laughs> like a, the chair that's next to you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says Kisei, you know, so to get us ready. Oh, the sticker's still there. The stickers, so she would put stickers in different places right. and have the kids point out Eretz Israel in the Birkat Amazon, the Grace After Meals. Right. So she, you had to be blind not to know that this is going somewhere. Anyway, we sat with her. She was extremely emotional, very unhappy, and we, got, we get that, no question about it. She wanted to leave and go to her room. We get that. And about a half hour later, she uh, said that she's going to meet some friends at a local Starbucks or something. Would that, can we drive her? And by that point, she was already, uh, you know, settled, yeah. somewhat hagacious with us. That's a great word. It's a great word. And she embraced us, and I guess she understood where we are coming from, and we understood where she's coming from. So that's, that's a good thing. But ultimately, she came with us. Not exactly what I would call the Zionist flag waver of the family. Okay. But she came with us, stayed for two years, and went back to Baltimore. And that's where she is today. That's where she, now she, they moved. She got married last January. Right, right. Uh, to an Israeli <laughs> who wants to be a pilot. And, um, yeah, they were married last January. Now they moved to Boston him for the pilot school, and she works for Apple. Right. So what were those two years like with her here? They were a mix. They were a mix of, uh, she went to school here, one year at YTA, right. where I still teach. I've been there for, I don't know, 10, 11 years. Then she went to a program called GMAX, where in one year you can get your high school diploma, right. which she got. So, like I say, it was a mix. Sometimes she would gather with friends in our neighborhood in Malay Adumim on a Friday night, go to the local, you know, circle, yeah. and get together with friends. Other times she didn't want to do that. She found a small friendship group. She didn't like it. It's tough. It was, a, it was tough. Yeah. Nobody said to us, oh, you're bringing a 15-year-old? That's fabulous. No. Good for you. Nobody said that. Right. But... This is where we wanted to be, and, and we felt that she would be best off in a, in, a, in a Jewish environment. But after two years, you know, we gave her the uh, ability to make her own choice, and she chose to go back. Right. And interesting that she married an Israeli. She married an Israeli, whose family lives in Talmand, right. which is Tel Aviv area, I think. Yeah, north, north of Tel Aviv. Yeah. yeah, beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah. Then we um, had to tell my president and chairman okay. of the board. Right. Who were under the impression that they had another four years. <clears throat> Correct. Okay. So what so happened I, there? I had to describe to them in a way that was urgent for us. We want to make sure that our younger daughter is in an atmosphere of Jewish kids, an atmosphere of Jewish things. She needs to be in a Jewish atmosphere. And we have to do this now before we might lose her to not Jewish things. Right. They got it. They understood it. 
Um, so that was the president, it was the chairman of the board. They asked me not to say anything to anybody until after the Sukkot holiday. So I'm sitting there on the bima, knowing where I'm going the following year, but nobody else does. Wow. But they asked me, please don't, don't mar the high holiday period with announcement yeah. of your leaving. Right after Sukkot, um, we gathered the board of directors and I announced to them that we're going and uh, they were by and large extremely supportive. Supportive, do what you gotta do, we understand it. You're a rabbi, you're a religious rabbi, of course, at some point you're gonna go. And you aren't going to Texas. You right, know what I mean? like, right. Or London. Right. 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 Uh, you're going to Eretz Israel, and yeah. we get it, we get it. And don't worry about it, don't worry about it. There was never a written contract. Uh, but there was a verbal contract about 2013, but don't worry about that. We're happy to support you in any way. We, we want, before you leave, we want to do a, a, a beautiful farewell dinner, appreciation dinner, don't ever come back dinner, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing. So I like that aspect. But anyway, they, I don't think they could have been more supportive. Right. So that was a big bracha, it's a big blessing to have that. And then, of course, there is, at that time, my parents and my sister and my family in Rhode Island who were not too happy but got it. You know, my parents, they lived here for 12 and a half years. That's right. So for their son to make Aliyah is not totally out of the realm of, of possibility for them. I mean, there and they knew that a, we were more and more interested. To a degree, there must have been a pride in that from them, no? I believe so, yeah. One more than the other? Uh, my father's uh, memory was waning at that point, okay. so okay. He, it, he didn't indicate like he got it as right. much as my mother did, who right. was still quite healthy. Yeah. Uh, but she understood it. She understood it, and uh, my, the rest of my family understood it. Brother, sister, his side of the family. They all got that this is where we want to be. So right. it was hard on some aspects, but uh, we were dealing with people who got it. So that made it a lot easier. And then you get here. We did? Yes, we I did. Mean, I would assume. Yes, we did. We arrived I, here July 7th, 8th, whatever. 2010. 2010. You remember those first days? Sure. You said you had a soft landing, but yeah. it's still different from visiting. And what I did, to, to my memory, I don't, I don't remember finding it that different. You know, I had a shul, friends, neighborhood, places to buy things, places to see things, places to go. Where we lived, there was a bus from our neighborhood right. to Yerushalayim every 10 or 15 minutes. In those so days, there were 74 buses to Jerusalem a day. Right. Right to the main bus station. Yeah, yeah. From there, you take it wherever you need to go. And so I, it was very lovely. And, and at this point, like... Do you see yourself as someone who has retired? No. So talk about that. Like you've got to, you've got to start a new life. Yes. You've got to. I gave up a lot of, uh, a lot of surety, financial stability. and other stability. Yeah. A lot of it. Gave a, a career. Gave up a career. Uh, what was that like? Well, I knew I had to find something. I knew I didn't want to just you know sit around and blob, <laughs> blob all day and go fishing or whatever. 
Uh, so the local synagogue in Malé Adumim was looking for I somebody. I mean, if you're hoping to go fishing every day in Malé Adumim, you're going to be disappointed. Very disappointed. <laughs> the unless you can cast desert. a long rod into the Dead Sea. <laughs> That's right. And from Malé Adumim, you can see the Dead Sea from Yeah, but places. you're not going to find many fish there. <laughs> not, not, not fish, because it's dead. It's a Dead Sea. Not yet. <laughs> That's why it's called that. That's right. That's right. Um, besides, I, I haven't fished in 50 years. It's not, I'm not even drawn to that. But um, Yeah, so what would you do? So I heard that our local synagogue, Karlbach Synagogue, was looking to raise money. I'm a horrible fundraiser. Horrible. Hmm. Uh, as I proved to other congregations when I was there. <laughs> horrible. It's just not me. Uh, I don't know how to ask. I don't know how to take. It's just, take me off the list. I'm not good at it. Right. And I proved it over and over again, <laughs> to nobody's surprise. So um, I heard they were looking for somebody to help raise funds. I said, look. I'll take some time, see if I can do something. And they were willing to pay a certain uh, percentage of whatever I got as a donation for a salary, which wasn't a lot. So I did that for a little bit. Uh, there was a yeshiva in uh, Bayit Vegan in Jerusalem, also looking for a fundraiser. So I did a couple of United States trips to get money on those trips. Also didn't come back with big bucks or a lot of shekels. And then I started to get involved with um, Tove Ha'ir, right. which is a retirement home in Jerusalem, a premier, beautiful, gorgeous place. Incredible place. Uh, I taught there once a week. I started to get involved with uh, this girls' school that I'm still at, right. which was then in Yerushalayim and is now in Beit Shemesh. And just so I, people understand, YTA, it's a school designed for English speakers yes. to gradually exactly. get to the point where they can get by with Hebrew, exactly. but also get educated properly on the way. Educated properly. They take their version of the regents in Israel called the Bagrut. And um, I started doing counseling. So that became... You still have, do you still do the ad in the Torah tidbits on no, that? No, no. Okay, but you did for a long time. I got three years of free ads. Three years of free ads. What do you mean in free? Free. Because I was teaching classes there ah, for a while. okay. I said, for every class, give me a free ad per week. They said, okay, no, no problem. Yeah. But they continued it for three years. Interesting. Anyway, so I did that. I did counseling. I taught in a girls' high school. I taught in this retirement home. And uh, my wife became a journalist for the Jerusalem Post. Right. She writes, at that time, she wrote for other websites, other organizations. So thank God, you know, we were able to put together a living. And um, even to this day, when people say, so I guess you must be retired. And I always bristle at that because my father, he should rest in peace, retired at 80, right. passed away at 90. So the thought of me at this age, retired, it just, uh, no, I, I say I'm not retired at all. Oh, what do you do? Well, here's what I do. Right. He said, oh, you're not retired at all. I said, yeah, that's why I just told, <laughs> I just told you I'm not retired. <laughs> no, if and when time comes to retire, okay, but right now I've, I almost feel, with God's blessings, that I'm all at kind of like the peak of what I've been doing. Wow. Teaching, speaking, other things that I do, counseling, you know, if I get back to that. But I feel like I'm really, thank God, doing good stuff. Still in your prime. Still, I really believe it. Yeah. Who else believes it? I don't know. <laughs> I have to have other people believe that too. But now, I, feel, I feel like I'm contributing, making a difference in some people's lives. Now, way back then, Shelley Levine was sure you were going to land in Maaleh Adumim. And in fact, you did 
land we in Maale Adumim. But we're we not did. sitting in Maale Adumim right now. Did you notice? I did notice <clears throat> when I turned the other direction. <laughs> right. Uh, we're in Efrat. We're in Efrat. So how did you wind up in Efrat? It's a long story, longer than you have. But the, the main pieces of it are, and by the way, Shelley Levine, uh, after her husband Charlie passed away, right. who was a dynamo, he hired me. He hired you, yes. He gave me he my first a, what job What was it called? The, the Lone Star No, PR before that, Ruder Finn. Oh. He ran Ruder Finn and he hired me. And oh, then, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, sure. Uh, anyway, so after Charlie passed away, uh, Shelley ended up living right above our apartment in Maladumim. So that was very nice. We'd see each other pretty often. Sure. So why did we move to Efrat? Well, we moved basically... Foremost, our daughter and her family live in Ramat Beit Shemesh. From Efrat to Ramat Beit Shemesh, either direction is always over an hour. From Maale Adumim. Maale Adumim, always over an hour. Here, it's exactly half the distance. And that was worth it. So that's the reason. That was the main reason. There are a couple of other reasons that I don't know why I don't want to get into. Okay. But that was was the main reason. Uh, We loved Maale Adumim. We were there about nine years or so. It was beautiful, gorgeous. Lovely, great people. A um, couple of other things, not necessarily uh, to talk about now, that also made us feel like we might be more comfortable in another community. So yeah. we moved to Efrat. And truth be told, we always, from Square One, had a tickle about living in Efrat. Always. Really? Yeah. Every few months we would come. Let's look at it again. It's a great place. It's a great place. We love it. We're in a great neighborhood here in the Zayat. And um, there's just a lot of friendship and warmth. And uh, there's a a new mall. It's a mini mall, not such a big mall. Nice enough. Nice enough. Certainly nice for a Friday morning. Beautiful. And a Friday morning, a couple of barakas and a cup of coffee. And that's in the butcher shop, which don't ask ask me why I go there for that. No, it's, it's lovely. The people are lovely. Activities, study, you can study here from morning till night, going to lectures. Activities of all kinds for all ages. It's very uh, focused on kids. At the same time, Efrat has received um, its bad news with this war. Yeah, sure, of course. There was just an article in one of the local, in one of the Israeli newspapers on the front page that talked about how hard hit Efrat has been with terror. Victims of Given terror. Given the population size. Given the population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now like four or five. Um, but all in all, it's, it's lovely. Cold. The winters here are very wintry. Today was a winter day. Today was a winter day. Yeah, cold out there. The summers are, are hot. It's, it's, it's comfortable nine months of the year. And those right. three months of the winter are chilly. Yeah. And we've had snow here. Of course. Yeah. Wait, this year already? Last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the year before. Right. Snow. Yeah. But uh, we love it. Thank God. Can we shift gears? Sure. I have some rapid fire questions I want to ask you. Okay. I ask everyone the same questions. They're rapid fire questions, but the answers can be as long as you want them to be. Okay. You ready? Sure. Fried chicken with green beans. Okay. That was not one of the questions. Question number two. (laughs) Um, In the Adler home. Yes. Kedem or Israeli grape juice? Israeli grape juice and Kedem. Our kids love Kedem. We love the Israeli grape juice. There's also an Efrat 
grape right. juice. Right. And we usually drink more of that than the Kedem. But when the kids come, we got the Kedem on tap. So you obviously know what the second question is. Uh, something about prophecy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Heinz or Israeli ketchup? Heinz. Never a question. We have both. Okay. But the other one is more for cooking. Uh, okay. The sweet ketchup is more for cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Heinz, we, uh, we use that more often. I promise these are not all going to be about food, but I'm realizing that, like, I got a few food questions we got to get through, I'm, and then we'll get to know, some other stuff. I live with that. The Israeli food you love the most? Uh, shawarma in Alafa. And the Israeli food that's so common here, and you say to yourself, how can anybody possibly like that thing? Amba. You want to explain what that is? Uh, if I don't even know what it is. I never had it. It's like an orange-looking thing that looks like horseradish. It's, like a, saucy it's, it's a sauce that I can't even look at it. My son loves it. Okay. <laughs> so he was born here. Oh, I see. Maybe yeah. that's the difference. Now, this amba or umba, I don't know what they call amba. it. Yeah, yeah. And the baklava. The baklava, yeah. which is like honey-drenched dough. I would say honey soaked. Honey soaked. <laughs> right? Yes, it's very, very yes. soaked. So I once went to a mafe neman, which is yeah. a, a chain of bakeries here in Israel. I don't know how many of them there are, and I bought five or six different flavors of baklava. Now, when I've had baklava in America, it was very delicious. Loved it. I thought, let me try it here, and I bought six pieces of all di different kinds. Yeah. And I'm sitting in my car, like hineni muhanum zuman. I am now willing. <laughs> to let in this baklava flavor, and right. I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to love it and enjoy it and see what the Israelis love about it. So I took a bite of each one, a bite from each one, and all of them. Every one of them. I could not even take a second bite. Too sweet? It was too undelicious. <laughs> okay. I, I remember I say, what does anybody see in these baklavas? Right. You ever try it frozen? A frozen baklava? No. Delicious. Really? Yeah. But anyway, right. I like it unfrozen also, so okay. that's, that's my problem. The Israeli Hebrew accent. Did you try it? Do you have it? Do I don't you have it. it? I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't aspire to it. And when American people speak in the uh, Hebrew accent, I quiver. Explain. Oh. Sorry. Does it say? Does it say explain somewhere in your question? If he says quiver, <laughs> ask him what that means. That's it's, what that's sounds, what says. It sounds fake to me. Okay. Now I get it. They went. They probably went to a Hebrew-speaking camp. There are many Hebrew-speaking camps in America, and they got that Hebrew accent. But note na Torah. Here I get it because that's the way people speak in Hebrew here. But when uh, people living outside of the country use that accent. I don't know. Oh, it's but just, here it's okay? Here it's the it's, I'm saying it's, Americans it's the accent. who make Aliyah. Yeah, it's the accent of the country. Right. right but right, to hear right. it, uh, I don't know, it just grates on me. <laughs> um, Another example of my non-judgmentalism. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the beautiful yeah. things about living life is that there's always work to be done. Absolutely. Um, what brings you to tears of joy or pride in Israel? Wow. I don't know that I can mention anything specific. I used to feel very emotional with the Hatikva. I, I don't know that I can say that now. I mean, I love it. Right. It's not, it's not emotional at this point. 
Um, I think when I see soldiers, seeing right. soldiers, I want to I want to make something that looks like a ping pong paddle. Yeah. That has a message that when you go through a checkpoint and you don't feel like opening your window or whatever, there's a message on this thing that says, "I wish you safety, be safe, and thank you for serving." You can make that. I, I'm sure. So it's been in my thinking for a little while now. How do I produce it? How do I make it? So that people, when they're driving around, they see chayalim, they see soldiers. Let's say you feel uncomfortable to say, uh, please be safe, or whatever it would be in Hebrew. That all you have to do is just put, raise the paddle, the paddle, and I think they yeah. would love it. It's a great idea. Yeah, thank you. So when I see soldiers, I think I get uh, more emotional than other things. Other than your home, where's your favorite place to be in Israel? Other than my home, I would say at a mall. Are you serious? Absolutely. A mall. Hmm. Okay. Eat. Why? I love shopping. Right. I love spending. I love the, uh, the Israeli malls, especially in Yerushalayim and other places where everything is kosher. Everything is kosher. And I love that. That's like stupendous. That's an amazing thing. Right. You don't have to look and see, oh, there's another Papa John's. Eh, we're so sorry. There's another this one. Eh, we're so sorry. Oh, D'Agostino's. Eh, we're so sorry. And you can go to any mall and shop, have a cup of coffee, relax, read a paper, talk to your wife, husband, whatever, bring your children. Lights, camera, action. Uh, my wife will tell you, I love watching people. Right. Being amongst a crowd. And, the, and it's true what you say, you know, like you, you can feel like a normal person. You, normal is very important in this country. Yeah. That you feel like you are not uh, some weirdo in Nebraska. Right. Uh, but you have, it's accessible and it's all here and you don't have to worry about it. So, Any pet peeves mall. about life in Israel? Um, pet peeves. Uh, I find... Drivers extremely impatient. Impatient. <laughs> right? It, right? It didn't even yet turn green and all of it. <laughs> and I, I find often a lack of what I call derecheretz, which right. means a lack of simple common decency. Yeah. The way people may talk to each other, deal with each other. Um, but, you know, this is a very, um, it's a country that has a lot of pressure on it all the time, and maybe that's what people are expressing. But traffic is, uh, people say, oh, I can't stand the way people drive here. I don't find that, I don't find that a problem. But the constant honking, my wife and I for the last few summers have gone to visit her sister right. in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Okay. We can be there I for I think the Mets used to have a minor league team they, there. That's correct. Yeah, okay. So <clears throat> when we go there, we're there either two weeks, sometimes three weeks. If in those two weeks I hear two honks, it's a lot. Wow. Two. Right. And then you come back here and every honk has a sub-honk. <laughs> and that just, I, the impatience, I guess, would be a, a peccadillo. Yeah. Two more questions and then I'll let you go. Sure. Is Aliyah for everyone? Is Aliyah for everyone? I think Aliyah can be for everyone. I think, I think you have to come here, try it for a few weeks or months, and see if it's for you. If it's really not for you, then nobody's pressuring you to be here. 
spend the rest of your life here. I think it's within everybody's reach to at least explore it. Come, be, stay, and make your assessment. I think, I think it's within everybody's um, ability to give it a shot. This is not one of the questions, so there's actually still two more questions. Okay. But I just feel, I feel the need to, answer, to, to ask it. Now that you've been here for 13 years, mm -hmm. was it easier than you thought it was going to be? Was it what you thought it was going to be? Is it harder than you thought it was going to be? I think because of the fact that we bought an apartment in 2003 and started living it in 2004 when we came, and we came in 2010, I think it was not hard. I don't remember feeling, oh my gosh, this is hard. I can say that I do have at least one person that I know who was a rabbi in America for many, many years in a prominent um, Jewish city who told me that after a few months of being here, he one day looked at the mirror in his, uh, in his house and started crying over what he left. Wow. And really regretted it. Not regretted it to the point of wanting to go back, but like the more he looked into his eyes, he said, there, well, I gave up a career. I gave up a great future. I gave up a parnasa. I gave up friends. I gave camaraderie. I, I, I gave up what they call haverschaft. I was friendly with so many rabbis. And I gave that all up, and I started crying like a baby. Wow. I, I said, wow. Yeah. He said to me, did that ever happen to you? And I said, no. And 13 and a half years later, I never felt that way. Is he still here? Yeah. No, he's here. He's productive. Yeah, yeah. He does good things. Yeah. Another name we can't mention. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I, never, I don't recall feeling that way. I'm feeling like Hashem put me here. I, I'm going to make the best of it. And in 2010, after six years of having an apartment to live in when we're here, like I say, it's a, it was a soft landing. Yeah. So it did not have the same pressures or challenges that a lot of people have. It wasn't from nothing. We didn't start at zero. Right. Right. So that was a, that was a big part of it, of feeling comfortable. And whatever happens, let it be. Last question. Yeah. You know how people have like magnets on their refrigerator with like little sayings? Yes. And you know, my kitchen, my rules, you know, that, that kind of stuff. If there was a magnet that was your magnet about life in Israel, what would it say? Close the fridge door. What would the magnet about life in Israel? Feel the privilege every moment. Good or bad? Tough, no challenge, whatever it is. Could things be tougher than they are now? You know, every day you hear another name, another sad situation, another triumph. We killed these guys. Uh, the emotions are like a roller coaster, as you know. Yeah. And with all that, every second is a privilege. You know, I think of Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. Every time I see a street cleaner somewhere in Israel, I say, wouldn't Moses have taken that job? In a second. In a second. He would have been sweeping in a heartbeat. He did not have the privilege. And I have the privilege. And we have the privilege. And why do we have it and he didn't have it? That's a whole to-do. But uh, I think that's what a magnet would say. But being that I can turn my neck and see my actual fridge, yeah. 
the most precious magnets are the ones that are behind pictures of our grandkids. Right. So do I have time for a quick story? Yes. Yeah, when, when is candle oh, lighting? with me? Yeah, no, to yeah, tell yeah. you. I'm when is candle lighting? Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> when only is it's only Sunday. Yeah. Of course. So, yeah, so we, we got here. I'm sitting on Rehov um, Kanfei Sharim In Jerusalem. Yes. Uh, right near steps that go down to a place that was like a meat. It wasn't a restaurant, but they had these baguettes with all kinds of deli and french fries and whatever. I'm parked there. And this is a few months after arriving, and, I, and I'm saying to myself, here I am, just made Aliyah recently. What do I really want? What do I really want? So a fancy car drives by, right. and I'm parked, parked with the windows open. A fancy car drives by, and I said to myself, ooh, wouldn't it be nice to be here with a fancy car? Not that there are so many fancy cars to compete with, but wouldn't it be nice to have a nice fancy car here? And then I said, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I need a fancy car. And then I'm looking somewhere else and I see people come out, coming out of a store with a lot of packages. Sure. And I say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to have that kind of finance to afford all these packages from that kind of a store? Wow, that's what I would like. And then I said to myself, well, would I be happier with more money? I don't know. I don't know. I guess that's a, I would like that at a nice car, but I don't know. So there's a few things that go by my eyes that catch my attention. Ooh, I think, would I like that, living here in Israel? I think I would, but mm, I don't know. Maybe not so much. It's not that important. And then I'm watching, as I'm looking outside my window, passing in front of this baguette store, I'm watching an older gentleman with a beard. Yeah. He has one kid on one side, one kid on the other side, he's holding their hands, and each of them has a balloon right. with helium tied to their wrist. His grandchildren, obviously. I'm, I, I'm imagining this is a, a Zaidi, yeah. a grandfather, with two grandchildren in Eretz Yisrael. And I took a snapshot in my head, and I said, that's what I want. And lo and behold, that's what I have. How many grandchildren? Two. Beautiful. That's what I have. I'm a Saba with two grandchildren in Israel. Rabbi Ilan Adler, thank you for returning again to your Aliyah story. Thank you for being interested. And I really appreciate it. Wishing you much success as you continue your career and life in Israel. And God willing, uh, that you, God willing, uh, and never good retire. health. And thank you.